and welcome to Iris for Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. My name is Trevor, and I will be reading you the Sioux City Journal for today. Let's take a look at the five-day forecast for the Siouxland area, and then we will go our way through the paper from the front to through the back. Today, it will be colder with areas of low clouds. We're looking at a high of just 22 degrees. Winds will be about 6 to 12 miles per hour. Tonight, it'll be mostly cloudy with wind 6 to 12 miles per hour and a low of 10 degrees. Monday, it'll be mostly cloudy with winds 7 to 14 miles per hour and a high of 31 and a low of 13. Tuesday, intervals of clouds and sunshine. High of 33, low of 22. Wednesday, considerable cloudiness. High of 29, low of 15. And Thursday, rather cloudy. High of 25 and a low of 18. But nowhere along that prediction do I see any snow, so take that for what it's worth. Alright, let's start with the front page uh, story, which is about a Siouxland donut recipe lives on from a Lamar's store. Headline, a sweet tradition continues. Subheadline, longtime Lamar's eatery now serving iconic baked goods from Lamar's, Iowa. Friday was, quote, D-Day for Joan Kessenrich's Hinton Community School District's preschool class, or precisely the kids were going to words that start with the letter D. Quote, donuts start with the letter D, Kessenrich said, picking up a pre-order box of four dozen Vandermeer Bakery's freshly baked glazed donuts. Quote, the students will certainly get a kick out of that. In addition to a sweet treat, the preschoolers were also experiencing a changing of the guard in Plymouth County's culinary scene. Around Christmas 2022, owner Chris Steffen decided to close the iconic Vandermeer Bakery. Best known for its breads, rolls, and donuts, the 33 Central Avenue Northwest Bakery had been in business since 1934. Steffen decided to sell the Vandermeer name, its tradition, as well as the recipes to Tom and Patty Mullally, longtime owners of Lally's Eastside Restaurant. Not only did the Mullallis buy the bakery's famous recipe for donuts, they also hired Stefan to continue making baked goods at Lally's 125th Plymouth Street Northeast Eatery. The first batches of Vandermeer donuts started flying off the shelves on January 16th. Quote, with Vandermeer, it was all about tradition, Tom Mullally said. Quote, the bakery represented a big part of the history of Lamar's. The same thing could be said of Lally's Eastside Restaurant, which was started by Tom Mullally's dad, Mike Mullally Sr., in 1961. Quote, Vandermeer was around for 88 years, and Lally's has been in operation for 62 years, Tom Mullally said. Quote, not too many businesses can say they've had longevity. Lally's, best known for its roasted chicken and BBQ ribs, was a steady customer of Vandermeer for many years. Quote, we bought all of our bread from Vandermeer back in the day, and Tom Mullally said, pointing to a framed 1965 black-and-white photo of his dad, posing in from front of Lally's catering truck. Quote, Dad was proud to buy everything local. That's why we wanted to have the Vandermeer name on the trucks as well as his own. Quote, guess there's always been a connection between the two businesses, he added. More significantly, Stacy Mullally, the daughter of Tom and Patty Mullally, also happens to be an experienced baker. Quote, for many years I worked in the bakery departments of Kroger's, which happens to be the largest supermarket chain in the United States, Stacy Mullally explained. Quote, nobody was happier than me when my parents decided to purchase Vandermeer. Plus, the new baked goods will be made and sold at Lally's. Quote, Lally's is a three-generation run business, and we probably 
will probably serve three generations of customers, Tom Lawley said. In addition, they're also seeing a brisk early morning trade from many of Vandermeer's former customers. Stacey Mullally admitted she was still becoming accustomed to the 6 a.m. openings. But when you're used to opening at 11 a.m., 6 a.m. seems like it is the middle of the night. Tom Mullally, who just turned 74, likes getting off to an early start. Quote, for a restaurant owner, a restaurant is a business as well as a home away from home, he said. This is where I get to socialize. So far, Vandermeer's Donuts' new tradition has been drawing raise from Lally's customers. Quote, every day we sell out of donuts, Stacey Mullally said with a smile. Sometimes we sell out of our donuts as early as 9 a.m. Quote, this is, which is why preschool teacher Kesson Rich wanted to pre-order her baked goods in advance. Quote, when Vandermeer announced they were closing, I was pretty bummed, she said. As soon as I heard the donuts were coming to Lally's, I knew they would be in good hands. That's music to the ears of Tom Lally. Quote, if you combine Vandermeer's 88 years of Lally's 62 years, well, that adds up to a combined 150 years, he said. This is a big chunk of Lamar's history. At the last day's donuts are sold, Tom Lally couldn't help but smile. Quote, people expect to see Vandermeer baked goods at Lally's can expect to see them for many years to come, he said. Returning back to the front page of today's paper, we now look to private schools and the debate over vouchers. Headline, private schools could grow as state money hits. Subheadline, many private schools are full and 42 counties don't have any. From the Journal Des Moines Bureau. An infusion of hundreds of millions of dollars every year soon could hit the private school market in Iowa thanks to a proposed state-funded private school financial assistance package being pushed by Governor Kim Reynolds and Republican state lawmakers. That money could have a significant impact on the private school industry in Iowa, which, as of the 2022-2023 through 2023 school year, included 183 schools and 33,692 students, according to state education data. That's about 7% of the 486,476 students in the state's public schools. But could that impact be limited in who benefits? Nearly half of Iowa's 99 counties, or 42, do not have a private school within their borders. Most of the areas where there are no private schools are in rural areas, with fewer and smaller towns. And many private schools are near or at capacity, and would find it difficult to add students. The proposal which likely will be debated this week in the Iowa House and Senate, is to offer state funding to any Iowa student who wishes to attend a private school. The student would receive $7,590 every year to be put towards tuition, textbooks, classroom materials, and other types of educational programming expenses. The program would be open first to new kindergartners, students who didn't attend private school the year before, and students from low-income families. It would be gradually phased in, becoming available to more private school students until, in the fourth year, it would be available to all K-12 Iowa students. At full implementation, the governor's staff has estimated the program will cost the state more than $340 million annually. A Republican legislator who chairs the Iowa Senate's Budget Committee said last week he believes the number will actually be higher. The state's nonpartisan fiscal analysis agency has not yet completed its analysis of and cost projections for the proposal. Some have suggested the new money pouring into the private school industry could lead to the creation of more private schools. Quote, over time, quite possibly, said Tom Chapman, executive director of the Iowa Catholic Conference, which lobbies state lawmakers on issues that are important to the Catholic bishops in Iowa. 
Quote, I think over time as those resources become available for families, there could be expansion. Florida's private school financial assistance program, one of the first in the country, was established in 1999. From the 2000 to 2001 school year to 2021 through 2022, the number of private schools in Florida has increased 53%, according to data from the state's education department. Private school enrollment has increased 19.3% over that same period. Iowa House Speaker Pat Grassley, a Republican from New Hartford, last week said the creation of expanded or new private schools in the state is, quote, definitely a possibility under the proposal. Quote, obviously there are some available slots that exist right now, but there could be more, Grassley said. But I also look at that as more competition, creating more choice for parents. So that may be a byproduct, but I don't think it happens just today. But over the course of time, I think that's a real possibility. Asked if there's enough room to accommodate the roughly 14,000 students the governor's office estimates would be eligible for the program in the first year. Grassley said he expects some private schools may choose to expand and create more slots while, uh, while others, quote, like the way that they are. Quote, it's just like in the public school system right now. We have schools that have reached a certain capacity that will only take students that are living within their border because they've reached capacity, Grassley said. Quote, so I think that's going to be a conversation that they'll have to have in each community. Trinity Lutheran, a K-8 through school in Cedar Rapids, as accredited by the state in the National Lutheran School Association, has about 250 students, including the school's early childhood center. The school has 32 openings and is exploring options to expand, said Principal Mark Miller. Quote, we're running out of room and need more classrooms, Miller said. However, Miller said the school would not use money from the education savings accounts from the proposed legislation to finance a building project. He said he supports the proposal, but that it has, quote, very little to do with the financial benefit. Quote, I think there are parents who would like to have their kids in our school because of who we are and how we operate that are not able to because they can't afford it, Miller said. All right, we'll now return to the front page and we will take a quick look at the mini editorial and then do the final story on the front page. The mini editorial is pretty simple and nothing really controversial today. The mini editorial says, quote, nothing says love like a warm donut, signed the journal editorial board. So I'm guessing they're referring to the story we just read about Lamar's. All right. More seriously, final story from the front page. Headline, federal funds help water system near completion. From T, South Dakota. Progress on a water system some 30 years in the works is reaching a point at which executive director Troy Larson says he can see light at the end of the tunnel. Might it be more accurate to say it's possible to see the spigot at the end of the water line when considering that the final three of 20 partners in the Lewis and Clark regional water system could be hooked up in two years' time. With the latest federal appropriation in hand to finish off four ongoing projects this year and Iowa City's Sioux Center and Hull expect to be brought online by April 1st, the to-do list is getting shorter. Quote, we're excited. I've been involved with this project for almost 20 years, Larson said. We're hopefully two years away from completion. It's hoped the water will be flowing to Sheldon, Iowa, and Madison, South Dakota by the end of this year or early 2024. The final hookup for Sibley, Iowa, is expected by the end of 2024 or early 2025. The contract to install 17 miles of service line to Sibley is scheduled to be awarded this summer. Current projects include construction of a 1 million gallon water tower near Sheldon, addition of pumps at the water treatment facility near Vermilion, South Dakota, and completion of 32 miles of service line to Madison. 
Congress's recent approval of the 2023 Appropriations Bill included $18.6 million to fund the second year of those projects, and all should be finished this year. Well, we essentially got what we asked for, Lars said. It will take an estimated $170 million in federal funding to finish the base system, Larson said. A total of $584 million in federal, state, and local funds has been spent or committed thus far to the project, which began as a dream in the 1990s. Authorized in 2000, the Lewis and Clark Regional Water System, which has its administrative offices in T, began construction in 2004 on a system that, once completed, will cover approximately 5,000 square miles with 337 miles of pipeline, providing more than 44 million gallons per day to 350,000 people in 15 member cities in five rural water systems in Iowa, South Dakota, and Minnesota, from wells that tap into an aquifer adjacent to the Missouri River near Vermilion. The system began delivering water in 2012, and 15 members, including Rock Rapids, Iowa, are currently hooked up, with Sioux Center and Hull scheduled to go online this spring, and the possible addition of Sheldon and Madison yet this year. Sibley could be the only member left to be connected when 2024 begins. Quote, we are super enthused, says Murray Holstein, Sioux Center's utilities manager and chairman of the Lewis and Clark Executive Committee. Quote, when we joined this organization, it was for the future. Obviously, it's taken a long time to get here. Sioux Center's hookup this spring will come just in time, said Holstein, who's been involved with the water system from the beginning. The city's current water supply is maxed out during peak summer usage, forcing the city to implement watering restrictions. Lewis and Clark water, which will be softer and higher quality, will be will supplement the city's supply, easing the stress during recent drought conditions that have had on the city's too shallow water wells. As the final projects to complete the system are approaching, Larson said work has begun on a $125 million expansion that will increase the system's capacity to 60 million gallons per day. Improvements that have already been boosted by $25 million in grants from Iowa and South Dakota state governments, and roughly $2 million more that is expected from South Dakota and Minnesota. The remaining expansion costs will be funded by system members' water rates. Larson said the expansion, which could be done in 2030, will not require installing any new lines, but will include additional water wells, pumps, and pump stations, and expansion of the treatment plant. All right, let's now turn to page A4, the local and state section, as we continue on for local news. Uh, This is a further deep dive into the uh, private school tuition voucher uh, legislation that has been proposed. And the article is titled, Here's What Iowa School Tuition Bill Does. Subheadline, Fast Track Proposal from Reynolds Teed Up for Votes This Week from Des Moines. Iowa lawmakers could begin debating as early as Monday the proposal by Governor Kim Reynolds to establish taxpayer-funded educational savings accounts, which Iowa families could use to pay for private school tuition and other related expenses. The proposal, which has moved through the legislative process at breakneck pace for such a large and complex piece of legislation, has sparked passionate debate. Iowans crowded into the Capitol and packed legislative hearing rooms over the past week to sound off on the fast-track proposal after the idea had failed previously. Some were bright Shirts that read, quote, yes to ESAs. Others had signs that said, no vouchers in bold text and I support Iowa's public schools. More than 1,650 Iowans submitted written comments. House Democrats who opposed the bill said 73% of the comments submitted online opposed the bill, while 27% were in favor. Here's a rundown of what the bill would do. So what's in the bill? 
The proposal would create taxpayer-funded educational savings accounts valued at $7,598 in the first year, the amount the state spends per pupil on public K-12 education. The families could use for private school tuition and other education expenses. The program would be phased in over three years. In the third year, all K-12 students, including private school students, would be eligible for the funding with no income restrictions. The proposal also allows public school districts to use unspent funding from teacher leadership and compensation, professional development, talented and gifted categorical funds to increase teacher salaries. The governor and Iowa House Republicans have said the funding has been underutilized due to the restrictive nature of the funding and the process required to reallocate it. Heading, how will that affect funding to public schools? Public schools will lose out on the per-pupil funding for any students who who chooses to attend a private school. School districts, though, would get roughly $1,200 in state funding for each student who lives in the district but attends a private school, regardless of whether the student is a recent transfer or has always attended private school. That's new new funding Reynolds and supporters argue could benefit some districts. But for districts with declining enrollment who lose a student to a private school, it would be a net loss of $6,385 per student. While districts would get the estimated $1,205, they would also lose the $7,590 in state aid per pupil. So for every student who leaves, a district would need five or six already in private schools to make it a wash. So how much will it cost? The governor's office estimates that roughly 1,400 eligible students would participate in the program in the first year, which would cost the state about $107 million in additional state funds deposited in the accounts for parents enrolling children in a private school this fall. Reynolds' office estimates an additional roughly 6,000 students will apply in the second year, which would cost the state roughly $165.0 million that year. By the third year, every Iowa family would qualify to receive an account regardless of income. The governor's office estimates that nearly 20,000 new students would apply for private school assistance in the third year. That would cost the state roughly $313.8 million in the third year. By full implementation in the fourth year, the governor's office estimates that the total annual cost of the government-funded scholarships will be roughly $341 million. The governor's office bases estimate on the assumption that about 1% of public school students are likely to transfer. In total, over the course of four years, the plan would cost the state roughly $918 million. Over the same time period, the state is estimated to spend $15.2 billion on public education and collect $39.2 billion in overall revenue, with expectations of increasing K-12 spending by roughly 2.5% each year, according to Republican budget estimates. Reynolds has recommended that legislators provide $190 million to to public K-12 schools in the next academic year, in addition to normal funding. According to the governor's office, Reynolds' budget proposal would receive a $2 billion unspent balance in the state's general fund budget. Democrats note that the only information Republicans have provided about the bill's costs come from their own estimates and those of the governor, not the nonpartisan legislative services agency. The agency has not analyzed the fiscal impacts of the bill, and Democrats have said they'd like to see those estimates before it goes to a floor vote. House Democratic leader Jennifer Cornfist of Windsor Heights said the agency's fiscal estimate may come Monday. 
House Speaker Pat Grassley, Republican of New Hartford, said he'd like to see the fiscal estimate, but he pointed to the numbers coming out of the governor's office and said Republicans have been transparent about the cost of the program. So who again, who would be eligible? For the first year, that would be the 2023 through 2024 academic year. That would be all kindergarten students, all public school students, and private school students at or below 300% of the federal poverty level, or that being $83,250 for a family of four. Year two would be 2024 through 2025 school year. That would be all kindergarten students, all public school students, and private school students at or below 400% of the federal poverty level, or that's $111,000 for a family of four. Then year three, 2025 through 2026 school year, all K through 12 students in Iowa, regardless of income. Question, what expenses would the law allow? The money is to be spent on private school tuition or other expenses like private tutoring, textbooks, or school-related fees or payments for educational therapies. That includes fees for private online classes, vocation and life skills classes approved by the Iowa Department of Education, material and services for students with a disability from an accredited provider, including the cost of paraprofessionals and assistants, standardized test fees, and advanced placement exams for college-level courses offered by high schools. The money is not to be spent on food, clothing, transportation, or disposable school supplies like pencils and paper, according to the bill's sponsor. When do the accounts expire and what happens with the leftover money? Money remains in a student's individual account until he or she graduates high school, turns 21, or is removed from a private school, whichever comes first. Any leftover money is transferred to the Iowa Department of Education to be deposited in the state's general fund. How will this new program be administered? Similar to the state's 529 College Savings Iowa plans, which are managed by investment company Vanguard and overseen by the Iowa State Treasurer's Office, the accounts would be created in the state treasury under the control of the Iowa Department of Education. A private company would administer the program and oversee those payments. Funding for the savings accounts would come from money appropriated for, to the Iowa Department of Education from the state's general fund. Classwell administers Arizona's school voucher program, which has faced questions about lax financial oversight in recent years, and is registered in support of Reynolds' bill. All right, let's now turn to the briefs section for today's paper, page A4. Headline, Museum Host Panel Discussion for Black History Month. In recognition of Black History Month in February, the Sioux City Public Museum will host West 7th Street Music Scene 1960-1985, a panel discussion at 10.30 a.m. on February 4th. The hour-long program at the museum at 607 4th Street will feature George Boykin, Wardell Greer, Richard Hayes, and the Reverend Gims Ivory, with local historian Jim Tillman highlighting an era of local music that nurtured many great talents. The event will be moderated by Monique Scarlett, Unity in the Community, and Ike Rayford of Sioux City NAACP. Among the stories to be featured is a local family with a young musical prodigy. A friend of Louis Armstrong, trumpeter Clarence Pops Kenner, owned a West 7th nightclub, the 7-Eleven Club. At the age of 12, his grandson drummer Russell Bizet started playing gigs at the venue. After graduating from Bishop Heelan High School in 1969, Bizet was touring at age 19 with Chuck Berry and later with later the Muddy Waters and Tommy Bolin. He performed on TV shows and with world-renowned symphony orchestras, including 
introduced into the Iowa, Roll, Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2007. Bazette continues his long career in California. Along with hearing from the panelists, the audience will be invited to share their remembrances of the West 7th music scene during the era. In addition, the Facebook page Sioux City Black History series created by Tillman will showcase local stories titled 28 Days, Moments in Black History. These posts will be shared on the museum's page at facebook.com slash Sioux City Museum throughout February. Headline, Man Sentenced for Possession of Child Porn. A Sioux City man was sentenced Wednesday to 11 years in federal prison for possession of child pornography. Chad Moyle, 37, pleaded guilty in September in U.S. District Court in Sioux City to one count of possession of child pornography. In addition to his prison sentence, Moyle must pay $6,000 in restitution to the victims of the pornographic materials he possessed. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Moyle possessed more than 1,600 images of child porn from December 18th through February 2019, using a smartphone and an app to receive and possess images depicting minors engaged in sexually explicit conduct. Headline, Exhibit Showcases Leeds High School. Leeds High School, 1939 through 1972, a new exhibit is now on display at the Sioux City Public Museum through June 4th. The exhibit features marching band uniforms, school apparel, photographs, and memorabilia from the neighborhood high school, which helped forge a strong identity for the northeastern part of, area of Sioux City. With an enrollment of approximately 350 students in grades 9 through 12, Leeds High School was much smaller than either Sioux City Central or Sioux City East. The Sioux City Public Museum at 607 4th Street is open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturday from 1 to 5 p.m. Admission is free. For more information, visit SiouxCityMuseum.org. All right, let's now turn to page A7 or The Week in Iowa. Uh, headline, Lawmakers Tee Up Private School Assistance. A bill allowing parents to use taxpayer dollars to pay for private school tuition and expenses is set up for four votes in both the House and Senate early this week. The bill quickly passed through committees in both chambers over the last two weeks. After passing through the legislature, the bill will go to Governor Kim Reynolds' desk for a signature. The program, which is estimated to cost $341 million once fully implemented, was one of Governor Kim Reynolds' key priorities for the session. Democrats urged those opposed to the bill to call the representatives over the weekend and voice their opposition to the bill. Headline, Sioux City Woman Charged with Voter Fraud The wife of a Woodbury County supervisor was charged with voter fraud on January 12th for allegedly fraudulently filing, filling out voting materials and casting absentee ballots on behalf of others in two elections. Authorities say Kim Fong Taylor, 49, approached elderly members of the Sioux City Vietnamese community and filled out ballots and other forms in their names for the 2020 primary election and general election in which her husband, Jeremy Taylor, was a candidate. The FBI continues to investigate the case, according to U.S. Justice Department news release. A trial was scheduled for March 20th in U.S. District Court in Sioux City. In the news, Bill Banning Gay Panic Defense Advances Lawmakers moved forward a bill last week that would prevent a defendant from using a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity as a mitigating factor of charge of a violent crime or assault. It's the third time a bill has been under consideration. The so-called gay panic defense has been used successfully in other states, and some states have already banned it. Lawma quote, headline, Lawmakers Try to Fix Depleted Funds for Veterans a fund designed to give emergency financial assistance to Iowa veterans would get a boost under proposals from Iowa lawmakers. The Iowa Veterans Trust 
fund ran out for the first time in a decade in October. Separate bills would increase the annual allocation to the fund from $500,000 to either $800,000 or $1 million. Ransomware, cybersecurity bills advance. Bills dealing with cybersecurity and ransomware moved forward in the Iowa House last week. One bill would make it a crime to launch a ransomware attack and provide penalties up to a Class C felony, depending on the amount of money lost in the attack. Another would create a cybersecurity unit in the state's office of the chief information officer and require government entities to report cybersecurity incidents to the office. Top National Guard Generals to Retire Major General Ben Corral, the Adjutant General of the Iowa National Guard, will retire March 1st after more than 30 years in the Guard and three years at its helm. Corral said he has given his recommendation for his successor to Governor Kim Reynolds, who will appoint the next leader of the Guard. Odds and Ends UI Hospital Addressing Gap The University of Iowa Healthcare expects to open a new primary care location in southeast Iowa City by 2025, hoping to address a healthcare access gap in the area. Officials said Southeast Iowa City has the fewest primary care options in the city despite being the most densely populated. Headline, Bill Would Scrap Gender Balance. A bill proposed in the Iowa Senate would eliminate the requirement that state and local boards and commissions have an equal number of men and women. A Republican senator said the requirement is no longer needed and said leaders have a difficult time filling open board positions. The Water Cooler. COVID Cases Fall. Iowa reported 1,690 COVID-19 cases on Wednesday, a drop from the previous week. There were 177 people hospitalized with COVID-19 in the state, down from 222 in the previous week. Jeff Kaufman re-elected as GOP chair. Republican Party of Iowa chair Jeff Kaufman was unanimously re-elected last week into a two-year term as chair of of the Republican Party of Iowa. Since 2015, when Kaufman was elected to his first term, Republicans have increased their numbers in both the state government and Iowa's federal congressional delegation. All right, returning back to state politics in Des Moines, page A8. Headline, Meatless Snap SNAP. Bill envisions cutting staples from food aid from Des Moines. Iowans on the food assistance program known as SNAP or SNAP would have far fewer food purchasing options not being able to use the benefits to buy meat, nuts, or canned fruits and vegetables under legislation proposed by Iowa Republican lawmakers. However, the bill may be amended eventually to include more foods, Iowa House Speaker Pat Grassley said. For the time being, the legislation as written, which has 39 House Republican sponsors, including Grassley, would limit SNAP programs users to only foods eligible for users of WIC, the Nutrition Assistance Program for Expectant Mothers. That means SNAP users would be limited to purchasing WIC or WIC-approved foods like milk, juice, cereal, bread, rice, pasta, fresh fruits and vegetables, eggs, and yogurt. But SNAP users would no longer be able to purchase with the aid many other foods, including meat, poultry, fish, canned fruits and vegetables, and items commonly used in food preparation like butter, flour, spices, seasoning, sugar, and vegetable oil, and ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise, and other condiments. In addition to food banks and anti-hunger advocacy groups, among those registered as against the bill, according to state lobbying record, is Tyson Foods, the world's second largest processor of chicken, beef, and pork with meatpacking plants in Iowa. Grassley said the legislation was designed to ensure accountability in Iowa's assistance programs like SNAP to make sure they are sustainable. 
The food assistance program is funded by the federal government and jointly administered by the federal and state governments. According to federal data, Iowa's share of the program administrative costs in 2020 budget year was $22 million, and its average administrative costs of $27.84 per case per month was the 18th lowest among U.S. states. Grassley said the legislation, which was one of 13 bills published by House Republicans as their priorities, will work through the legislative process and could be amended. Any legislation that would change Iowa's SNAP program would require federal approval. Our goal is not just to eliminate swaths of things, Grassley said in response to a question about cutting meat and other categories of food out of the SNAP program. Quote, but I think there needs to be some level of accountability to make sure that there are really things that should qualify. If you don't lead a healthy lifestyle, that leads to more use of government-funded services. The legislation, House File No. 3, contains other provisions that would add more levels of oversight and reporting, which proponents of such proposals say is needed to limit fraud. Critics of such requirements say they are extraneous because there is little fraud in the system now, and adding hurdles could lead to rejecting assistants who are in need of the assistance. Such proposals have passed out of the Iowa Senate in recent years, but have not been passed out of the Iowa House. Luke Elzinga, an advocate for anti-poverty policies and policy and advocacy manager of the nonprofit Des Moines Area Religious Council, criticized the legislation and said it comes at a time when food banks and food pantries in Iowa are seeing record numbers of people, while the number of Iowans enrolled in SNAP has been falling for years. Iowa's average monthly SNAP participation of roughly 279,000 in the 2022 budget year was the lowest since 2008, according to federal data. Quote, the bill is a misguided and harmful bill that would severely limit food choices for Iowans on SNAP, kick people off of the SNAP program, and increase hunger and food insecurity in our state, Elzinga said. There are a lot of Iowans struggling to put food on the table right now. We should be exploring ways to expand access to SNAP, not creating more barriers to receive the assistance. The bill has not yet been assigned a subcommittee hearing, which is the first step in the legislative process. All right, now fun to, to everyone's favorite subject, taxes. Headline, a look at recent changes to Iowa tax law and whether they impact this year's returns from Des Moines. Tax documents are beginning to arrive in Iowans' mailboxes, and soon those Iowans will be filing their taxes. State lawmakers have made many changes to Iowa's tax laws in recent years, particularly by reducing the state's income tax rates. So what should Iowans expect when they see their taxes this year and prepare to file? What has changed since? The federal deductibility. While moving to lower state income tax rates, lawmakers also implemented a phase-out of the Iowans' ability to take a deduction on their state taxes of their federal tax payment. But federal deductibility still lives for now. For the vast majority of Iowans, this will be the last year they can deduct their federal taxes while filing. Next year, for most Iowans, that option goes away. Income tax rates. The most recent state income tax overhaul, which was spearheaded by Republican state lawmakers, reduces state income tax rates over four years until it reaches 3.9% for everyone. But those changes did not start until January 1st of this year, so they will not show up on tax returns that Iowans filed this year. For this year's tax returns, Iowans will have paid state income taxes at the old rates, covering nine brackets, depending on one's income, ranging from 033 to 8.53%. Starting this year, Iowa will have just four tax brackets. The top rate is reduced to 6%, and descending income brackets will be taxed at 5.7, 4.82, and 4.4%. That can be seen on paychecks now and will show up in next year's tax filings. Each year, those numbers will be reduced until 2026, when Iowa will have just one state income tax rate of 
The changes are expected to save, save Iowa income taxpayers nearly $2 billion annually, but also reduce revenues that fund state government by that same amount. Retirement income. Similarly, this year's tax filings will include taxes paid on retirement income earned in 2022. This year's filings will not yet show another recent change. Starting on January 1st, Iowans are no longer paying state taxes on retirement income. Those changes will be seen in the next year's tax filings. From Filings and Returns Craig Paulson, the Director of the State Revenue and Budget Management Departments, said he does not expect any issues that would cause state refunds to be delayed this year. He says the Revenue Department typically issues refunds within 30 days of a tax filing, and that will continue to be the goal this year. Paulson said said much of the 30-day window is needed to prevent fraud by ensuring the accuracy and legitimacy of filings and refunds. The Iowa Department of Revenue's website at tax.iowa.gov has resources to answer frequently asked questions about taxes, forms for emailing tax questions, and for tracking refunds. All right, let's now look to South Dakota and a recent legislation there. South Dakota lawmakers reject proposal to limit ballot measures. From Pierre, South Dakota. South Dakota lawmakers on Friday dismissed a proposal that the state constitution banned ballot measures from being reconsidered if they failed in the previous election. The Republican-controlled House State Affairs Committee rejected the proposed constitutional amendment after lawmakers said it relied on vague language and unwieldy implementation. One Republican criticized its interference with citizens' ability to directly change laws in South Dakota, which was the first state to enshrine the ballot measure process. The proposed constitutional amendment, which would have prevented rejected ballot initiatives from appearing in the next election, would have needed to gain a majority in the next election to be enacted. Republican Representative Fred Deutsch, who spearheaded the effort, brought the proposal after voters rejected a ballot measure to legalize recreational marijuana last year. But legalization advocates say they plan to put the proposal back on the ballots in the next election. Quote, the voters just said no. Can't we respect the will of the voters for at least one election cycle, Deutsch said. The Republican-controlled legislator has tried in recent years to curtail the ballot initiative process after progressive measures such as Medicaid expansion and medical marijuana legislation have found favor with voters. But Deutsch's proposal struggled to gain support even with his fellow Republican lawmakers. Opponents argued it would result in countless lawsuits because of the amendment's wording. Quote, to limit ballot measures that are, quote, substantially similar to prior measures. Other opponents urged caution when amending the state's constitution and limiting a form of direct democracy. Quote, I have hesitations on what this does to election law, said Republican Representative Becky Drury. This impedes on people's rights to bring measures. Legislators also considering a bill proposed by Attorney General Marty Jackley to make it a felony for ballot petition circulators to commit perjury. Jackley said the proposal would strengthen the election laws by instituting a criminal punishment. He pointed to a 2014 case in which he attempted to prosecute a Republican Senate candidate for perjury for misrepresenting her candidate nominating petitions. The state Supreme Court overturned the convictions. But Rick Weiland, who also started an organization that operates ballot measure campaigns, including a campaign to place abortion rights in the state constitution, said bills like Jackley's would have a, quote, a chilling effect on ballot measure campaigns. Quote, he said, it's more about intimidating people that want to get involved in direct democracy. All right, next uh, state regional news headline, High Court Sides of Nebraska HHS Workers Over Dress Code from Omaha, Nebraska. The Nebraska Supreme Court upheld on Friday a lower court 
judge's ruling that sided with state employees who fought back against a government dress code banning blue jeans. In late 2019, the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services advised its employees of a new dress code barring employees from wearing blue jeans, t-shirts, and other casual wear except on Fridays. In turn, more than 200 union-covered employees filed a grievance saying the department violated the union contract by unilaterally deciding to change the dress code. At the time the department issued the new dress code, the employee contract language required the agency to negotiate with the union if it required a more stringent dress code and offer a clothing stipend of up to $250, according to Nebraska Association of Public Employees Executive Director Justin Hubley. The employees also said the new dress code was arbitrarily enforced, with some employees who performed the same work at the same location and on the same shift being allowed to wear jeans, while others were not. Within weeks of the new dress code, employees won their grievance and binding arbitration, and the agency sued to try to overturn the arbitrator's decision. Lancaster County District Judge Robert Ott upheld the arbitration, saying the department can set a dress code, but it must be implemented reasonably. The Nebraska Supreme Court said in its opinion Friday that the arbitrator was well within his powers in finding the agency had violated the labor contract with its dress code change. Union President Melissa Hayes lauded the high court's ruling in a written statement, saying the case was about basic contract enforcement. Well, we always want to work collaboratively with DHHS management to solve disputes, but we will never hesitate to defend our rights, Haynes said. Nebraska Health and Human Services spokesperson Jeff Powell said the agency would not comment on the ruling or whether or not it would seek to negotiate a new dress code with employees. All right, let's now turn to the opinion section or page A10 of today's paper. Let's do the editorial, and then we'll do the three letters to the editor. The editorial board headline, Show Patience During and After Winter Storms. Put a little snow on the ground and the worst comes out in people. Quote, my street isn't cleared. They'll gripe. My mail didn't come. My paper hasn't arrived. What they don't understand is that excessive snow, and yep, we had that this week, stalls everything. When there's too much snow to move, city officials can't make it magically disappear. If the streets aren't clear, other delivery services can't get out. There's a domino effect that shows slows the wheels of progress. Instead of complaining, be more understanding. If it's not safe for you to be out, it probably isn't safe for someone else to be out either. If you want to help city snow plow snow crews, follow the rules. Don't park on the streets when they're trying to get them cleared. Use your driveway. Don't crowd the plow. You might think you need to race home, but be, but slow and steady could be the best way to go. Use your headlights so people can see your vehicle when the snow is blowing. And stay home unless you absolutely have to get out. Thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, many companies have work-from-home options for their employees. Take advantage of that and hunker in. While it might seem like a good idea to shovel your sidewalks as soon as possible, don't attempt the job until it's light out and the snow isn't blowing. When it's safe, get the shovels and snowblowers and go to work. Let others know you're outside. Take breaks. Pace yourself. And if you're lucky enough to have someone else do the work, be sure to say thank you. Sometimes those two words can make the worst weather more tolerable. All right, let's do the letters to the editor. Headline, this letter is titled, Don't Award Riverside Fields Lease to the Arena. The Siouxland Youth Athletics relinquished its lease of the six softball and youth-sized baseball fields at the Riverside Park in the fall of 2022. New bids came from the Arena Hess Foundation and Westside Little League, both looking for expansion of softball and possibly baseball programs. A committee created by the city council recommended awarding the lease to the Westside Little League. The council did not follow the recommendation. Instead, more meetings were held, 
in the spirit of cooperation for field access. Because the talks did not fully satisfy the arena's needs, the city then directed more talks with a new committee recommending awarding the lease to the arena. This is not an appropriate method of business for the city. The January recommendation is predicated on the number of players committed, but not actual signups or 2023 summer registrants for the arena, which absorbed the SYA. Westside, which is just beginning an official Little League softball program for girls, needs the fields and the ability to get the program off the ground. The council, which is scheduled to vote on the proposed lease Monday, should vote against the measure. No more should the city award this lease to the arena, acting under the auspices of the Hess Foundation of Public Park Taxpayer-Funded Land, than it should lease public park land to McDonald's or Starbucks. Westside has a 50-year charter and deep history in Sioux City. The arena has been in business for some four years. The city should not prop up a for-profit business over the merits and efforts of Westside, a volunteer non-for-profit organization. This will set a horrible precedent for the city. Signed, Bob Protexter, Founder and Executive Director of Total Baseball Development, Sioux City, in the Iowa Great Lakes. Had, or the next letter is titled, Unlimited Tuition Grants Aren't, Quote, Foundational Education. Quote, if we are not providing a foundational education for our children, then we are failing. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, 2023 Condition of State Address. Yet Reynolds proposed a paltry 2.5% increase in funding for public schools and unlimited tuition grants to, for, for students to attend private schools, which would take away funds from public schools. That doesn't sound like a plan for a foundational education Iowa. Most of us are very proud of our local public schools. Signed, Jim Kennedy of Okaboji, Iowa. Next letter is also about the voucher uh, proposal in the Iowa legislature. Letter is titled, Voucher Plan for Private Schools Raises Questions. I believe this country has achieved greatness through the rise of the middle class largely because of public education of the general population. The bill in the Iowa legislature to provide state funding to parents who enroll their children in private schools is coming up for a vote soon, but I'm concerned about some provisions about which I haven't heard. Number one, if the money for private school vouchers is readily available, why are there so many arguments about funding for public schools each year? Number two, what requirements will be imposed for minimal education standards associated with the private schools accepting these public funds? Three, will every school be receiving public funds be required to accept any and all students who want to attend as do public schools without education standards and acceptance rules. We won't be advancing the goals of widespread quality education, which I believe we wish to achieve signed Michael Podash of Sioux city. All right. Well, our time together is drawing to a close. So let's do dear Abby and the horoscopes and then we'll read the weather again. And we'll then we'll say goodbye for today. Abby's column is titled, The Boyfriend Hopes to Escape His Current Circumstances. Dear Abby, I have no family and few friends, nobody close. My live-in girlfriend of two years and I argue constantly. We have, we no longer share a bedroom and I feel more like a roommate. I honestly feel like I'm being used for money. Her 24-year-old son died from an overdose two months ago, so I can't help but feel sorry for her. She isn't working and I don't know when she can return. I don't have the money to move. I wish I did. I'm miserable. She's miserable and I feel stuck. I'm 46. She's 44. I pay rent and 50% of the utilities, which is fine, but how can I ever get out? Moving isn't cheap anymore. I'm desperate for hope that I'm not stuck here forever. I'm afraid if I move, even if I live in a tent for now, she will give up on everything. She has two grown kids, but she was closest to the one who passed. 
I feel guilty for wanting and needing to leave. At the same time, I'm miserable. She's in therapy and on medicine. Please advise. Signed, Without Hope in North Carolina. Abby writes, Dear Without Hope, Start saving whatever money you can. Explore options for other living arrangements, including renting a single room. Staying where you are under these circumstances will make you sick if you don't take control of your life. Your former girlfriend is under the care of a doctor. You are not her lifeline. She will survive. Dear Abby, I am friendly with a woman who is wonderful and caring. She calls to ask how I'm doing and drops off coffee to say hi, etc. She has a great heart and soul. Our boys are close in age. That's the problem. Quote, I do not like her children. Her kids are difficult and they run roughshod over her. She knows discipline is a problem, but she's at a loss. My children don't enjoy playing with them either. Her kids are careless and don't listen to authority. I want to continue her friendship, but I like her better without the children in tow. Should I speak up or fade away? Signed, Conditional Friend. Abby writes, Dear friend, your friend's children can't be blamed for things they were never taught. Tell your friend that when your kids visit your home, you will be establishing some house rules. If you do, you may be doing the entire family a favor. If her kids cannot comply, inform them that your children no longer want to play with, with hers, and why. She needs that information before her kids become social outcasts. If your friendship with her fades after that, and I sincerely hope it won't, then que sera, sera. Happy New Year to my Asian readers who celebrate the New Year, Lunar New Year. The Year of the Rabbit begins today. In Chinese culture, the rabbit is known to be the luckiest of all 12 animals in the zodiac. People born in the Year of the Rabbit are calm and peaceful. They avoid fighting and arguing and are artistic and have good taste. However, they may be insecure and sensitive and dislike criticism, which causes them to be adverse to change. I wish a happy, healthy New Year to all who are celebrating this holiday. Signed, Love, Abby. All right, let's now uh, recap our weather for next five days, and then we shall say goodbye to each other. Siouxland five-day forecast. We're looking at, again today, colder with areas of low clouds, winds from the northwest 6 to 12 miles per hour, and a high of just 22 degrees. So, fortunately, we may not get too much melting of the snow we had uh, last week. Tonight will be mostly cloudy with a low of 10 degrees. Monday will be mostly cloudy with a high of 31 and a low of 13. Tuesday, intervals of clouds and sunshine, high of 33, low of 22. Wednesday, considerable cloudiness, high of 29, low of 15 degrees. Thursday, rather cloudy, high of 25 and a low of 18 degrees. So that brings us to the end of Iris for Sunday. January 22nd, 2023. Your reader today has been Trevor, and I've been glad to read you the Sioux City Journal. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care of yourselves and others. And uh, until next time, bye-bye.